Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Today, we welcome Mel- Michael Blank. How are you doing, Michael? Uh, good. Pleased to be here. Awesome. Hey, Michael. Good morning. How hey, are Jason. you? Good. <laughs> good. Really excited well, to have you on the show today. And uh, this is the first time that Peely and I will be stepping on each other's toes from uh, far away. So Peely is currently in Hawaii today and I'm um, in New Jersey. And that leaves Michael. Michael, where are you? Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia. So we've got everything covered today. Perfect. Perfect. Yay. So Michael, how, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you first get started in real estate? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I, I thought I was pretty smart when I was, uh, in my corporate software job and then I read rich dad, poor dad. And I'm like, I am such an idiot. (laughs) Like, you know, it's not how much money you're earning or having a bank. It's how much passive income you have from that. And it was like, it hit me like a, like a two by four and it really changed my whole financial outlook. And uh, that's why I started looking around. Now, at the time, I had a, a good amount of money through a software IPO. And I said, I know, I'll just quit my job and then just implement what Kiyosaki has in his, in his book, right? So I needed a cash flow business and I needed real estate. And I didn't associate the two necessarily together. So I decided on the cash flow side to get into a restaurant uh, a pizza chain, essentially, because I knew some guys who were in the franchise business and were doing very well. So I said, oh, that's great. My big idea is to go into the restaurant business. That's my passive income. And I hired a guy who ran all these things and I started building and buying this out this, this chain of restaurants. And on the real estate side, I just started flipping houses. So I signed up with a local mentor. He was a wholesaler and he taught how to, how to market, how to negotiate. And I said, you know, I can do better than that. I can just rehab the thing. So I kind of did that a little bit on, uh, as a side gig. And I didn't really get serious with real estate uh, until probably 2009. So I did a, I did a handful kind of as a side thing. I was really consumed with, um, with the restaurants. I did go to uh, an apartment building boot camp early on, and I, I worked at it really hard for the first nine months and then put the whole real estate thing on hold and just to focus on the restaurants until about 2009 when I started getting into flipping houses uh, uh, much more as a business. That's when things got, got really serious. And it didn't, it, it didn't dawn on me until afterwards that flipping houses really was not passive income. Right. And so I just started scratching my head again and going, you know, what really is. And that's when I remembered my apartment building uh, training in 2007. And that's when I started looking for apartment buildings. So that's how, to answer your question is how I sort of got into real estate. And I tried a lot of different things in my quest for financial freedom and the restaurant thing completely blew up my face. Instead of actually being permanently retired, I was in the, the state of semi-retirement for about six years. It was fantastic. And then it turned rapidly to the point where it, you know, I ended up losing 95% of my net worth through that experiment. So if I can spare people from that experiment, then maybe I've done something good in the world. That's amazing. It's, it's amazing how many people have read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and had that same result come to their mind of, man, I thought I had it all together, but actually <laughs> completely off point. Okay, let me start over. And we all have very similar tracks. I'm not sure if you know, but Peely and I actually met in the bar business some uh, 14 years ago, worked in bars, uh, still have a restaurant today. We know that's a, 
a more active approach to life than most people want. So for you to move away from house flipping, what was really the first start for you to get yourself into multifamily when you discovered that house flipping was ultimately just you having to find one project with another just to continue your income? Well, in my head, I knew that I wanted to be in the apartment buildings. That's why I got started in 2007. And I, I really spent nine months really heavily marketing in Texas. I probably looked at 150 properties until the point I had a verbal agreement on an 82 unit in College Station. At that point, I had to make a decision. And I said, I can't pursue this because of what's going on in the restaurant. So in my head, I knew apartments was where I'm going to, where I'm going to go. So when the crap hit the fan uh, in the recession, I kind of stabilized. And in 2009, I kind of went, shoo, okay, I'm down to four restaurants now. Everything's looking pretty good. And so I started getting into real estate. And at the time, there was such a, uh, I, got, I got distracted with shiny objects, with a, with a short-term opportunity that in end effect did not get me closer to my goal, which was permanent retirement, right? There was a huge, uh, uh, there was a huge amount of foreclosures on the, on the market in DC area and the retail market was recovering rapidly. So you get stuff at $80,000, put 30,000 in it and sell it for 230,000, right? There's a huge gap. I was like, my gosh, I gotta, I gotta drive my truck through that <laughs> versus kind of going, yeah, yeah. But what was your original goal, right? The original goal was financial freedom, not to flip houses, right? It should be an end to a means. And it was just kind of, I don't know, a means to what end I wasn't exactly sure. So that's what I did. It distracted me for about three, three years. And then I sort of accidentally got into my, a, a 12 unit in, in DC that was brought to me by one of my wholesalers. And I was like, oh, I remember now this, this thing I wanted to do one, one day when I grew up and I got into this thing. And then it just occurred to me. And if I keep doing this active house flipping stuff. It's not really what I want to be. Why don't I just do more of this, you know, of this apartment building stuff, which is a lot less work. Right. And so that's for me mentally when the, the shift happened. And then when I essentially made that shift is when the final decline of my restaurants happened, which then took up the next three years of my life to try to extricate myself out of that. And it's during this time where I had a fundamental transformation in my, in my mind about what I wanted to do with myself. And it was really, um, it was, it was really, you know, I, I really associated myself with my success or the lack thereof. It's like who I felt I was in my, and I was really looking for financial freedom for myself, I guess, and my family, but it was, it was really about me. And so it was very frustrating for me to fail so miserably at this. And I think the shift came when I kind of let go of that. Right. So, so I, my, my worth is not my net worth, right? It's, it's, it's I'm disassociated from that. And that was very freeing at the same time. And I said, what am I going to do? And, and, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try to help people raise money and do apartment buildings because I've raised money for house flips. I probably had a million dollars deployed for the house flips. I, I raised some for the restaurants and for the apartment buildings. And people kept asking me how I do this kind of stuff. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start sharing my knowledge with this stuff, even though it really wouldn't have solved my financial issues uh, at all. And then really focus on multifamily. So it was really, a, I say, a letting go of, of all that and really thinking, uh, you know, less, um, less about me and how can I make it, how can I help people around me? And, and it's funny when you do that, all of a sudden, I guess maybe success follows you, even though you're not really looking for it. Uh, that's kind of what I found, but regardless, that's kind of what happened in the, you know, in the, in the depths of the storm. Sure. You give us so many different directions to go here. I guess one of the things you said is that multifamily is actually easier than house whipping, but people are going to see, well, an 82 unit building or a 12 unit building. Well, that that's so much more risky. It takes so much more work, so much more effort than actually so much more money. one house, so much more money. So how could that possibly be easier? 
Yeah, I mean, I thought so too, right? I mean, I thought, I mean, there's two things that I had a big problem with multifamily. One is uh, I needed a lot of money. And at that time, I didn't have any money at all. Uh, and number two, I felt like it was an advanced strategy, something that I would graduate to uh, after flipping a bunch of houses. What I found was, um, number one, I didn't have any money. So uh, if I wanted to get started, I need to figure out how to, how to overcome that obstacle. Now, and I did learn the art of raising money through the house flips. And what was empowering about that was when I, you know, when I first started doing that and I got the first investor to kind of say, yeah, I'm, I'm good for $25,000. I was like, really? You sure? <laughs> and then it dawned on me. I was like, my gosh, maybe if this guy was dumb enough to invest in me, I can find another, another guy and another guy and another gal. And I was like, holy cow, my ability to do something is only limited by my ability to find deals and raise the money, not by my own lack of funds. Right. And most people don't believe that's possible. Right. So when we're thinking multifamily, they're like, oh, I'm going to let me, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use, I'm going to save money for the next five years and then I'll get started. No, learn the art of investing because the truth is no, people are having a hard time finding any kind of yield and everyone's really happy with a five or 6% return in the stock market. And multifamily syndicators routinely are returning upwards of 13% per year on things and it's staggering, right? So, so you're actually doing people a service by presenting them with opportunity. And most people just don't, they don't, they don't understand that that's possible. And, you know, when I show them just some simple ways to do that and what's possible, they kind of go, huh, interesting. Right. And then on the experience side, I was really disappointed about how much credit I got for my track record as a house flipper. I would call up brokers and they go, yeah, Michael, but how many apartment buildings have you done? I'm like, well, none, but I, I flipped three dozen houses. They're like, yeah. <laughs> now I'll talk to you, I'll talk to you later. Call me when you have some experience. Right. And, and it was, it was, it was amazing that I got hardly any credit for my house flipping. And now having taught others how to, how to overcome that, there are some simple techniques uh, and education language and scripts to, to use that, that allows you to overcome the lack of experience to the point where when you use the right words and have a certain degree of confidence, you're not going to be asked about your track record. You're not, not going to be asked for proof of funds. And that's all a function of essentially training and shifting your mind. So the bottom line is this, you don't need experience and you don't need your own cash to get started multifamily. Wow. Wow. So we're really big on mentorship here. And this is kind of following what you're going through or going with. If, if say I'm a newbie, and I have never done a multifamily before. And I came to you, I'm like, Michael, Michael, could you, could you help me out here? I just, I really want to get into multifamily. How do I, how do I do it? You know, it, normally the progression is like this. I normally advise people to consume all the free content that's out there. So that's my website. I probably have the biggest archive of, of articles, YouTube videos, and podcasts on, on the subject of multifamily. Bigger Pockets is a great resource. And there's a few other, other people out there as well consume all the content. I think it, it really comes to this. You have to come to a decision point. Okay. You have to decide you have to, and in order to decide, you have to have a certain amount of information. Hey, is this right for me? Is it possible? Can I see myself doing this stuff? And, and I found that when a person decides to pursue a course of action and, and you guys are a perfect example of that, you guys sitting there, you've done a bunch of stuff and you evaluate and all of a sudden you go, you're like a light bulb goes off. You're like, okay, I'm going to do this. Now you don't have all the answers yet, but if you haven't decided yet, I'm not going to recommend that you buy my online course or that you sign up with a coach. Okay. Because you haven't truly decided yet. On the other hand, once you've decided that this is what you want to do, the course of action becomes, becomes very easy, right? Because, and you can always tell whether a person has decided or not. 
and they may lie to themselves or lie to me. They go, yes, I'm going to do this. And then there's no action after that. And to me, that's a very strong indicator that the person actually has not actually decided. Uh, they're probably lying to themselves. And like I said, to me, it ha- happens to me occasionally, even though I interview people, you know, before they come on as coach, as a, as a coaching student. But on the other hand, if people have truly decided, and this is something that you can't tell from the outside, every person knows whether they have, there's no other response other than action after that. And once a person has come to that, at that point, it's first step is to get education. Right? So it's not complicated, and you may have to invest in your education. And some people need more hand-holding than others, uh, um, and some, some don't. Some have more means to hire a coach, and some don't. It doesn't really matter. The point is you have to do you do have to invest minimally in your education so that you build up the a skill level, use the right language, and you b- develop that confidence. And with the right training, that can happen in a course of 30 days. I mean, from, from, from a bumbling in, uh, idiot to, you know, I can actually have call BS on a broker because they don't know how to underwrite their own deal, right? It's, it's actually surprisingly easy to acquire. But if you don't, then you're going to bumble around for a while. And, you know, I've done it before, you know, especially when you don't have the money to do something, you just bumble around and make a bunch of mistakes. And if time is on your side, then just bumble through it, uh, you know, make a bunch of mistakes. You'll eventually come out okay in the end, you know? Uh, but how, if you want to fast track it, then the, the more you spend, the more you focus on your education, the faster you get there and the, and the more likely you are to avoid the bigger mistakes. Yeah, that's great. And you're exactly right. If you have your mind made up and you know where you want to go and you want to get into multifamily investing, you can get there. And you can do it by yourself, sure. You can go out there, but why have this huge learning curve where it's going to take you maybe 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 three months, but maybe it might take you five years? Why are you going to go through that learning curve? Have to figure out all the mistakes when you can follow steps other people have done. And there's so much information on your site on Bigger Pockets where you can educate yourself, find people around you that are doing what you want to do, and they can they can keep you on the track. And no matter what track you're on, you're ultimately going to have missteps, but they're not going to allow you to get too far off the track. They're going to bring you back and you're going to call up and say, Michael, I'm in this situation. I made this mistake. What would I do in this situation? You say, okay, listen, it's not that big of a deal. Just take this course correction and here you are back on track. And that that's, that's invaluable for sure. Now for this, tell us currently a little more about your investing strategy. What, what are you looking for today in multifamily? Where do you like to invest just a little bit more maybe about something that you've at least uh, worked on recently or something you're looking to do shortly. Yeah, so up. my investing strategy has been to invest together with my students or my ecosystem. So I have a program that allows people, I uh, give them the tools and the knowledge to analyze deals and pre-negotiate a deal and then bring the deal to me for partnering. Cause it's so hard to find deals right now. Right. So I was like, huh, rather than me calling a bunch of brokers, why don't I train a bunch of people to do it for me? That's great. And once I rolled it out last, uh, last year, uh, we actually got a deal, uh, it was a 69 unit in Memphis and it was, uh, uh, a gentleman by the name of Patrick Duffy brought me the deal and he had done an outstanding job, uh, analyzing and researching a deal. We then worked out a joint venture agreement with them and moved for, and then put it under contract, raised the money for it and closed on it in mid April. And since that was released, like the floodgates have opened and people have just started submitting deals to the deal desk. So the deals are out there. I think that my observation is that even though I teach people how to raise money and I, I spend most of my time on that topic which is I'm sure very useful. What's even more useful is if you do it for them, right? Cause people are lazy. They're like, why should I raise money if you didn't do it for me? You know? So, so what I'm finding is it's empowering people to go out and do something. I think a lot of times we sit there 
and we go, and we can't overcome certain challenges in our head. Now you guys are action takers. Cause I interviewed you on my podcast. You're just kind of like, you just start walking and you don't even know what the hell you're doing. And you're just kind of bumbling <laughs> forward. Yeah. But most people, they, they think of the road ahead and they're like, well, I can't figure this out. I can't figure that. Out. I don't know how to do that. So I'm just not going to bother. Right. And so, and so, and so taking this objection off right away, it's like, you find a good deal. I'll, I'll you know, you find a deal, I'll do the rest is kind of my tagline. And people kind of go, okay, well, the raising money thing was a pretty big problem for me. You know what? I can find some deals. Let me call some brokers. And they call up brokers. And then of course, analyzing deals is a, is a skill they can learn within a short period of time. And they kind of do it uh, and they start making offers and all of a sudden they get a live one. They're like, Ooh, I just got a counter offer. I, I was invited to submit a letter of intent. And, and that's very empowering for people. So back to answer your question, my strategy is at this point to help other people do their deals because I'm all about helping people do their first deal. That first deal is so powerful. In fact, I have a, something called the law of the first deal that says, if you do a multifamily deal of any size, and that includes a duplex, you will have replaced your income in two to three years. Uh, I probably interviewed, you know, four dozen uh, different entrepreneurs that have done this and I haven't found a single exception to this rule yet. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. So you do your first deal and you always, and the second and third follow in rapid, almost automatic succession. And you almost have to work hard not to do your second deal. Like it's like, it's, it just kind of happens. It's like, it's like, it's like knocking over the first domino, which is really big and really hard to do. And then just kind of boop, it just, it just knocks over everything else after that. So the key to financial freedom, which is what I want to help people achieve is the first deal. That's it's just, I don't care. You want, you know, on 500 units in five years. Don't talk to me about that. Let's talk about your deal. How big is it? Where is it? How much money do you have to raise? How are you going to get to that first deal? What does it look like? You know, that's what I want to know. And so I'm focused like a laser on the first deal. So even if I can, if I can help uh, someone who brings me a deal, get them in a deal and they, they remain a general partner, they're, that's their first deal. Even if they haven't raised the money themselves or all of it, it's still a first deal. And it, it, it empowers them. It, it expands their comfort zone. Their confidence is like, I mean, I've, I've seen it over and over again. And that's what I like. That gets, that gets me really jazzed up. You know, doing my own deal, it doesn't really excite me. It's just a lot of work, right? So what's much more exciting is to help the other guy do their first deal. That's what I really like. That oh, is incredible. amazing. That's amazing. I mean, that's, that's what we talk about a lot here. Like how, how do people go from zero to, like you said, people want to do 500 off the bat, but it's always that first deal that, that really stumps people and you get them over that hurdle. That's awesome. Um, yep. I'm all for thinking big, right? There's a lot for thinking big. The problem is a lot of times when people are thinking big, they're disconnecting their like the things they need to do today from their ultimate goal. Oh, I want to own thousand units in five years. And I, whenever I hear that, I'm like, Oh, good grief. Right. Good. I ha I commend you for thinking big. A lot of people think small. Okay. That's a, a different problem, but thinking big, getting to a thousand units. Where do you start with someone like that? Where do they even start? You know, mm -hmm. it's so overwhelming. You, you need to break it down a little bit. So sometimes when I hear people say, I want to own a thousand units and I don't want to, I don't want to squelch their, their enthusiasm. Oh, Michael's knocking me down. He, he thinks, you know, he, he wants me to think smaller. No, that's not at all. I just, want, I just want you to connect what you need to do right now this week with your ultimate goal. And if you can't break your goal down to something smaller than 1,000 units, you're not going to make it, right? Yeah. How, 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 how would you do that? So that's my only problem with, with thinking big. Yep. And you get so many things from that first property too. Cause one, you, you've gone through the process, you've built your credibility, you've gained your confidence and it, it, it creates this domino effect where, where things just start flying at you after this. So it, it is very tough, 
but it will be 10 times tougher to get to the first one than it's going to be to the second one. And it's going to keep reducing that path. So you're a hundred percent right. Yeah. And maybe you could talk a little bit. So people who have no deal record, have no deal track, have, have not raised money before, but now here they are, they're trying to get into their first deal. And now they're trying to raise money. How can they talk to investors about the deal and, and be credible? Cause they maybe what, what mindset or what can they bring to the table to offer up some kind of credibility? So before you approach an investor, you have to have a certain skill level and you have to have a certain, you're using a certain language and a certain confidence, right? Now, if you learn to analyze deals, which is one of the first things I teach when you, when you come on into my courses, that sits at everything else. Being able to analyze deals, and I have a tool for that called the syndicated deal analyzer. It makes it really easy to do the easy things, but it's very sophisticated to, to, to model very sophisticated situations with investors and structuring different deals. But that is at the heart of everything. It's a heart of, of obviously you need to make offers, but it also improves your language and with it, it improves your confidence. So typically for the first day, 30 days of the program, you're educating yourself and you're learning how to analyze deals and to build up that confidence level. So when you can always measure your confidence level by how people react to you. Very simple, right? So if you're talking to a potential investor or broker and they ask you for your track record or proof of funds, boom, you're just sounding like a newbie. It's a very simple measure. On the other hand, if you're not asked for that, you pass the newbie test, right? And so you want to get to that point as quickly as possible so that you're not being labeled as a newbie. You may get some other questions and, and, and objections, but you're not going to be asked about your, your personal track record and, your, you know, and, and the personal proof of funds, right? Because it's, it's not really about you. It's about your team, right? For example. Yeah. Now, the biggest challenge with raising money is it goes like this. It's like a catch-22 problem, right? People go, oh, okay. Now, I don't have a deal under contract right now, so there's nothing I can use to talk to an investor. Yep, that's a problem. On the other hand, oh my gosh, I just got really lucky and I just got uh, uh, my, my offer accepted and now I don't have enough money, uh, I don't have enough time to raise the money. Yep, that's also a problem. And they're like, can't be solved, can't be done, I'm done. <laughs> I've solved this though. So, so the solution to that is, is to basically make up a deal. And I call it the sample deal package. And it's basically, you take a deal, you analyze it, and you create an investor package uh, about it. You put your, your narrative and your business plan, your projections, your photos, you put everything in there, and everything is real except for one thing. You don't actually have it on a contract. It's not your deal. Now, you tell the investor that, but the point is you're using this now as a conversation piece. Now you have a live deal to talk about. Here's a deal. Okay, it's not mine, but it's a deal anyway. And I can use it as a way to actually now schedule meetings and reach out to investors. And you say, look, Here's this deal. It's not, I don't have it on a contract right now, but when I do, it'll be substantially like this. I want you to go re review this deal and ask me any questions you have, any concern. They do that. So they'll ask you questions about you, about your team, about this deal, about why, why the return is like this. What, well, how long is the term? How, when do they get their money back? And they're asking all these questions and you're addressing all this stuff uh, uh, up, up front before you actually have a deal under, under contract. And your goal is basically a verbal commitment from people. They'll go, you know what, if I like this a lot, you've addressed my concern and answered my question. I like this deal. If you find a deal that's substantially like this, I'm in for 50000 And you get a, a verbal commitment, right? And so you get enough of these verbal commitments so that when you actually put a real deal on a contract, all you got to do is call your, your investors and go, remember this conversation we had, you know, eight, eight weeks ago? I got a real one. I'm going to send you the real deal package tomorrow. And it looks familiar. They've already asked you all the questions. And within a day, they can say, yes, I'm in. No, I'm not, I'm not in. And so within a week, you'll have your money raised, right? Isn't that, isn't that a better approach to, you know, to making wow. offers? <laughs> yeah. So for all yeah. of our listeners out there, I want you to 
stop, rewind, or go back like uh, about 10 minutes and re-listen to what Michael just said. He just basically gave you the key to getting your foot in the door. That's just, that was amazing. That was, you know, mind blowing for your, for your average, for your average investor trying to get in. Well, the key there too, is that people have to be comfortable with you because now you have Michael who, who was in the tech industry then Michael, who's the restaurant guy. And now Michael, who was the house flipper, but now Michael is going to do apartments. So all of a sudden, if you were just showing up after you got this deal, they first have to get comfortable with you and the concept of you investing in apartments and then qualify that you've put your time into it to, to learn what you're doing and being specific with it. And then after that, commit to it. And, and you're right. You have no time to go through that process once you're, once you're under contract for the deal. So you need to basically set these parameters so people can understand what you're doing, understand what the feasibility is and what the upside is and why it's a great opportunity for them. So when the deal comes, they've already qualified you as a person. That's right. Yeah, and it's very easy. Now, you you kind of picked the harder route. I remember in your 90-plus uh, building that you did, you did not have a lot of investors lined up, and you just hit the phones, and you were stressing out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, just Jason guy, he's crazy. You know, he's so much stress and trying to raise money in like 35, 40, 45 days, uh, and you just got it done just because that's the kind of person you are. Uh, but the average person, you know, including me, would find that highly stressful. I would feel much better. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy a 10 unit. I know I need $200,000 raised for it. You know, if I have $200,000 in commitments, boy, I'm really confident making that offer. And even if one of my investors drops out, well, now I can hit the phones and replace that $50,000. I can see myself doing that. But starting from scratch, basically, oh my gosh, right? And so that keeps a lot of people from, from making offers, that fear right now. And I don't blame them. I mean, why, you know, if I need $250,000 to buy a, a deal, why would I make an offer on something I don't have the investors for? Well, I wouldn't, right? Because it would, I don't see how that's, how that's possible. But that's why we want to get verbal commitments from the investors up front. And I actually go a little step further. I sometimes have my investors sign a one-page letter of intent, which is legally meaningless. It just formalizes the conversation. I, so-and-so, uh, am interested in investing $50,000 in a deal, you know, pending me seeing the actual deal and getting the whatever legal documents, uh, and they sign it and it, it formalizes the relationship. It just kind of forces that a little bit more and make sure that the investor is a little more serious about what they just told you. And better yet, you can take your five uh, letter of intents to invest and you can slap them in your cover letter for making an offer almost as a form of proof of funds. Look at the investors I have behind me, right? So it's, there's dual purpose. That's great. I really like that. That's great. That's incredible. And you, you can push that topic a little bit because there's going to be people out there say, well, I want to raise money, but I don't know anybody with money. So what do I do? Tell us how maybe there's money everywhere. And if you talk, you'll, you'll bring that to you. So when I speak in front of RIA meetings, for example, let's say there's 100 people in the room. I, I love doing this poll because exact this thing, there's no money out there. I don't know anyone. And I say, hey, you know, if, if anyone with more than $25,000 to invest either in cash or stocks or IRA raise, in real estate, raise your hand. And all these hands go up. You know, anyone with more than 50000 you know, some hands go down, but still semi up. More than 100000 some hands go down. You add all the money in the room of that 100 people, it's like in the multiple of millions. So all you got to do is go to your local RIA and start attending these meetings and chit-chatting with people and finding the people with money. That's the easy one if you really like, live in a box right? And you don't know anyone else. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. The second way is to get referrals from people, you know, everyone knows someone. Okay. Now those someone's, if you're living in a mobile home park, uh, you, maybe you don't know anyone with money. Okay. I, I get that. But those people do know somebody and those people know somebody, right? So you're networking. 
You're just building relationships. So you ask, you know, the, the poor neighbor next door, Hey, you know, here's what I'm doing. We're really excited about this thing. And I go, Oh, that's interesting. I said, yeah. You know, do you know anyone who might be interested in a conversation? And they might go, well, uh, you know, my, uh, my boss might, you know, uh, he's got a rental property, you know, and now his boss might not actually be in a position necessarily to invest either or want to, but this guy now might know the guy with $50,000, right? So you're constantly networking. Uh, and if you have a, a network of high net worth individuals, good for you, right? You have a, you have a step up. Uh, and for those who don't, it's just going to take a little longer, right? That's, that's the bottom line. That's great. That's great. So we're going to, we're going to take a little, uh, little step now in the direction of the program here. We always, we always love to get a little more about how you set your life up. I guess one of the big questions we like here is, so you're doing all these things, you've done tech, you've done restaurants, you're doing multifamily. What is, what is your big why for doing all of this? Well, my big while, why initially was financial freedom. That's what really what I wanted, right? So I read rich dad, poor dad I said, I want that. I want to be able to do whatever I want, when I want, with whom I want. That's what I want. So that was my quest. Now, my sure. efforts have been a little misguided, perhaps. Maybe they cost me a lot of money and cost me a lot of time. But the point is, I feel like I've done so many different things. I've done software. I've done restaurants. I've, uh, I've even had a short sale negotiation company. I flipped houses. I had some rentals. I did multifamily. I'm missing some, Oh, I traded stocks and options for about uh, 18 months. So that was pretty fun. You know, I've done all this stuff, but there's a problem with, with each one of those strategies with the exception of multifamily. There's like everything that, that there's a problem with, with this or that, or this or that is all gone with multifamily. The advantages are so overwhelming that there th is the number one way to achieve the goal of financial freedom. The only challenge is to overcome the objections we talked about, lack of experience and lack of money. And that's, that's what I'm trying to change is the perception that you need experience and money to get started multifamily. That's great. Wow. That's great. So where do you see yourself, your business in five years, 10 years? Give us a look into your future. Yeah. So, um, you know, five years is probably hard, hard for me to do. I, I normally work in 90 day and 12 month timeframes. I feel like okay. that's something I can, I can control though. You know, you can always dream a little bit. Right. And, and, but it's hard for me to dream specifically. I, I know, I know. I, a lot of people say you got to be very specific and, and attach a time frame to it. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But, uh, but I would really, and again, I just want to really impact as many people as possible uh, by educating them and helping them do transactions. And, and now we're also going to start, you know, uh, raising money from those people. I'm going to start, to, and, and there's different ways to achieve financial freedom, right? One is to be the syndicator yourself, to be the entrepreneur. But there's other ways, if you're a high net worth individual, you also want financial freedom for the same reasons that the, the guy with no money wants to. And they just happen to have more money, but they still hate their job. You know, they, they're tired of being an attorney and working their butt off and they want to get out of the partnership. Okay, so how do you help them? Well, you help them by, by educating them on how to invest, right? And so we're going to do that. I'm going to start doing that as well. So really educating the masses uh, as many as I can so that achieve financial freedom. Why, right? Why? So that so that we can begin to live a life of, of significance, perhaps to so live a life on purpose, which is really hard to do when you're working 50 hours a week uh, and you come home and you're, you're tired and you, you know, you take care of the kids, put them to bed, go to watch TV, go to sleep, get up, do it again. It takes you all weekend just to recuperate so you can do it again on Monday. You know, it's difficult to say, Hey, you, what are your passions? You know, what, what are you, what are you really meant to do? Right. How are you going to make the world a better place? What the hell are you talking about, Michael? <laughs> you know, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. And, and that's a problem, right? If I look at the people that have replaced your income with, 
multifamily, they have a, a, a problem now. They're like, and, and so the couple of coaches I brought on, they've both replaced their income and they're still struggling with, what do I do with myself? Like, and all of a sudden, because there's this big vacuum in their brain that was previously consumed by raising, you know, by providing for their family, which they've now checked off, it now makes room for other thoughts, you know, and they're starting to think, what am, they're starting to think bigger. And as you start bigger, it goes beyond yourself now. And now you can start impacting other people, right? And if more people can do that, maybe the world would actually be a better place. Yeah. That's amazing. awesome. See, that, those are goals. It doesn't, you don't have a time. You don't have a time there. You don't need it. That's an amazing, amazing goal. Thank you so much for that. Um, another question we'd like to ask our, uh, the people that come on our podcast is, do you have a morning routine? Would you be willing to share it? Yeah, actually, I started that uh, two years ago after uh, reading The Miracle Morning for Hal Elrod. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and, and, and uh, you know, I was never a morning person. The earliest I could ever get out of bed was probably 7.15. And, you know, Hal postulates that you can program your body the night before. It says, you know what? You don't need eight and a half hours of sleep. You need seven hours of sleep and you're going to be fine which I thought was a bunch of horse manure because I tested this before. Uh, and then I retested it and it worked uh, and it was amazing. And so I've added like an hour, an extra hour to my day and I can do a lot in an hour. So that it was a transformational. And because you're not doing emails in that one hour, you actually have the ability to reflect and to think more strategically. And that makes a huge difference because you're, 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 you know, after, after 9am, you're just putting out fires and you're doing this. You're, you can't really think strategically. You don't, you don't really know if the task I'm doing right now is actually going to get me to where I want to go. And, and that was what miss, was missing for me. So, so that's been a huge addition to my morning routine and I highly recommend it. Hal Elrod and Miracle Morning definitely changed mine and Jason's life. It's it, yeah, amazing. It, for anybody that's listening out there, pick up that book yesterday and read it. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a real estate in investor or we'll say someone who knows they want to start investing in real estate and maybe they have no experience, they've, they've, this may be even the first thing they've ever listened to, what would be one actual step they can take today to take that first step into real estate? Yeah. Educate yourself, right? So check out my site, the michaelblank.com check out the products I have and the programs I have, the training I have, but there's others out there, right? Just, you know, check us all out and see who you like best. You know, you might get along with, with someone else better than, than me and who, who knows, but the, the next step really is to educate yourself. If you've really decided that's a thing, but you really ask yourself if that's something you want to do. Next step is educate yourself. And what that does is it shifts your, your, your entire perspective. Cause once you have knowledge, tools, techniques, you're like, Oh my gosh, now I can, it expands your horizon about what you think you can do and also your goals, right? They're going to be too, totally different when you start and when you finish. So the, the educational piece is, is so required because it, it makes everything, it clarifies everything for you. That's great. Nice. That's great. Nice. So you just mentioned your website. Where are other pe places uh, people can find you? Well, I think the good next step for listeners is to download my free ebook. It's related to uh, raising money. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to buy your first apartment building, right? Kind of apropos. Yeah. And in the back, there's an appendix, there's a sample deal package in the, in the back of it. Because I talk about some of these things in more, in more depth. And then the appendix has a sample deal. That's a, probably a good next step. And that's at themichaelblank.com forward slash ebook. Or just go and then just check out all my other articles and YouTube videos and, and my podcast if they're, if they're interested in, in learning more to help them decide if that's, uh, if that's right for them. That's great. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. So, and uh, before we do let you go, we always like to end with one thing. We always like to get some words to live by from our guest. 
Words to live by. You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maul it, is by Tony Robbins. It's in the moments of, your, of decision that your destiny is shaped. And I, I really believe that. Every time I go back to what propelled someone to take action, it was a moment of decision. So I, I encourage everyone to really think about that and decide. And, and, and from that, everything will, f- will flow. Once you truly decide, things will just start becoming reality from that point. So the moment of decision really does shape your destiny. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Michael. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. I I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, this is the REI Foundation podcast with Jason and Peely. Thank you so much for listening. Bye now. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.